Hello and welcome to Gilmore Ball Z, a podcast where I show my husband Gilmore Girls. He shows me Dragon Ball, and we try to find some common ground. I'm Paige. And I'm Grant. And this week we watch Gilmore Girls Season 6, Episode 18, and Dragon Ball Z Kai, Episode 139. So Grant, what happened on Gilmore Girls? Well, this week on Gilmore Girls we had a Lorelai plot, a Rory plot, and a Luke plot. So, for Lorelai... Uh, and a tiny it, bit of a Lane plot. Yeah, but that was mostly associated with the Lorelai plot. Lane was Lane was a vehicle for Lorelai's character development in this episode, which uh, was kind oh, of good. refreshing. Something new and different for her. Well, it was actually kind of refreshing because, one, uh, it's I always like seeing Lane and Lorelai interact. And two, it meant that Lane's plot actually had something to do with the main plot of the show. Fair. Um, so it was actually kind of nice to have Lane just be an accessory to somebody else's character development for a change. So the Lorelai plot, if you'll all recall, at the end of last episode, we found out that Emily and Richard are apparently looking for a home in Stars Hollow. They want to move to be closer to Lorelai now that she and Luke are getting married, blah, 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 and it seems like a nice little town. And so Lorelai knows this, but they haven't told Lorelai. She found out through Kirk. And so... She's trying to subtly stop this from happening. Basically, her objective for the episode is to stop, make them not want to move to Stars Hollow without letting on that she knows they want to move to Stars Hollow. So she is out and about in town and she spots them. And so she spends most of the episode like she rolls up on them like, oh, hey, mom, dad, what are you doing here? And they make up some lie about going antiquing. And she's like, oh, I'll come along. And so Emily and Richard are stuck in this position where they have to go along with Lorelai, like what they told Lorelai, so they can't go look at the houses they need to. And Lorelai's spending the whole time playing up how terrible Stars Hollow is. Oh, you parked on Carjack Lane. You, you know, oh, watch out for the potholes. There's everywhere. We can't take our car because it's gridlock traffic day in and day out. Oh, hold your breath. We're walking past an open sewer. A lot of these lies are, like, completely counter to observable evidence. It's it's not and her yet, best plan. And yet Emily and Richard seem to be falling for it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah, so there's that. Also, at the same time, earlier in the episode, Mrs. Kim drops in on Lorelai and gives her the wedding dress that she wore when she married Mr. Kim 28 years ago, which... Maybe the first time, or at least the first time in a long time, we've actually gotten verbal confirmation that a Mr. Kim exists. Yeah. And she's like, I want I, I want Lane to wear it when she and Zach get married. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit taller and, you know, just a little bit bigger than Lane. So I need you to alter it a little bit for her measurements. And Lorelai's like, okay... And she opens it to look at it, and it's the most horrible thing ever. It's just this giant, shapeless, dowdy, big, billowy thing. It's obviously influenced by, like, formal Korean-style dresses. Yeah, uh, I'm probably mispronouncing it, but a hanbok. Yeah, and then mix that with, like, a more traditional American wedding dress... Yeah, but, it's but it's like, white and it's got that same division between uh like a flat top and a big billowy skirt. Right, but like it puts those two things together in the worst possible way. Mm-hmm. And adds pants. Yeah, and there's pants underneath. Uh just to make absolutely sure. Uh so yeah, it's like this wouldn't be a bad idea, but you did it in the worst way imaginable. So Lane accosts Lorelai and is like, Lorelai, you need to have an accident and destroy that dress. I'm not wearing it. And Lorelai's like, no, okay. I mean, we can work with it. Give me a chance to look at it. See if I can work around it. I can turn it into something you'll like to wear. And so that's happening. Eventually the tour for the Gilmore parents back to the, like, like around town gets to Luke's diner where Luke is out of town because he's doing the thing with April that he talked about last episode. And so Lorelai walks in to Emily playing go fish with this random girl in the diner. Yeah. And Laurel's like, what the hell? And she goes over and starts asking about it. And it comes out that Emily just saw an unaccompanied little girl in Luke's diner and assumed it was Luke's daughter. 
Yeah. Even though she was like definitely younger than like Emily should know Luke's daughter is. I forget. Does Emily know how old April is? I feel like they must have talked about it. But even then, she like just kind of assumes a little girl in the diner is Luke's. Is Luke's daughter, yeah. And so she's like, oh, well, then this isn't Luke's daughter. What the hell? Like, you didn't tell me, you know. And they they kind of get into a bit of a little spat about it. And eventually it comes around that Lorelai's like, mom, don't worry about it. You're not going to need to, like, you're not going to get to know Luke's daughter for a while. Like, that's not something that's going to happen for a long time. And I was like, what are you talking about? And Lorelai explains that, like, I haven't even really gotten to know her yet. Luke and I kind of talked about it, which they didn't, but Luke and I talked about it, and we're going to wait a little bit and let Luke get to know her before I get to know her. And, like, Lorelai's obviously couching it in, like, we decided because she doesn't want to let her mother in on, like, the drama that she's unhappy with the situation. Emily takes this and immediately interprets it as Lorelai pussyfooting around and not wanting to get to know April. Yeah, instead of Luke not allowing. Yeah, instead of it being Luke. And so Emily's like, Lorelai, you need to fix this. I can't believe Luke let you do this. And storms out. And so Lorelai is just kind of left in this really impossible situation that she isn't happy with and she's been trying to act like she can fit around it and make it work and she can't she does she hates it and she knows it's wrong and her parents just like in, reinforce that it's wrong and she doesn't like it and so the episode ends with her looking at this horrible wedding dress and all of its terrifying glory and not even starting to try to alter it she just throws coffee on it so like the dress is a metaphor for her situation I guess. I guess. It kind of works in that, like, you can't alter the situation to be something that she'll like. She needs to just throw coffee on it and let Luke know she hates it. Yeah. Although, um, I'm going to complain very briefly. Like, if she had altered this into, like, a pretty hip, kind of weird, kind of more lane Hanbach, 100% here for it. Anyway. It would get into a bit of a ship of Theseus, not ship of Theseus, because she wouldn't be replacing anything, but it would get into a bit of a situation of at what point have you altered it so much that it would be easier to just make a whole new dress? The answer is, as much as she altered the dresses that she and Rory got for, was it their birthday? Like, for the birthday party in Wh- season one? Whichever, I don't remember. Yeah. Not um, much. And this is something Lorelai has done before, but she is in a more psychologically stressful situation at this moment. It's true. I'm just uh, kind of sorry the... that the plot doesn't let us get that. Yeah. So this is the Lorelai plot. Uh, Rory plot, things are still really tense between her and Logan because he's, you know, an abusive cheater. And he is starting to pick up on the fact that she's growing distant from him because he's an abusive cheater. So, like, there's a couple scenes, like, there's one at the paper where he's like, hey, I was working on this story and I just realized it's already been written. What's the deal? And Rory's like, yeah, I didn't think you were going to make the deadline, and I, so I wrote it for you. And he's like, I, I had two more days on the deadline. Like, I wasn't late with it. I still had time to write it. And she's like, yeah, but, you know, based on your past performance, you miss deadlines all the time, and this was a topical piece that we needed to get out ASAP. Also, you're an abusive cheater. And he's, he's, he's the douchiest fucking thing. Past performance isn't an indicator of future performance. Yes, it is. Like, yes, 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 it is. It, it is. It's that's not the how, only indicator. But it it's is a, a indicator. It's, it's a pretty fucking strong one, especially when you've shown no signs of changing your behavior in any way, you abusive fucking cheater. Um, Please don't take a shot every time Grant says abusive cheater. It's going to get you in a bad position. Yeah, and so, like, that happens, and he's upset about it, and, like tries to harass Paris as a way to, like, express his displeasure. Which, admittedly, Paris is keeping a jar full of fruit flies in the office, and that is gross. But, yeah, so he, like, causes a scene in the middle of the office. And then later, like, Rory comes home, and Finn and the other one, and apparently Finn, a third Colin one? And Robert, yeah. There's a third one now? Occasionally, he's the least, like, least common, least interesting but occasionally, I think there's been a Robert before. I have no memory of this man. Um, to be fair, the only reason I have memory of Finn is because he has a British accent. Other than that, the three of them are the exact same 
douchey white guy. Like, Did she I'm, go on a date once with Robert? Is he the member of the Life and Death Brigade she went out with once? Maybe. Maybe that was him. I don't know. The, the three other dudes that aren't Logan are just the same actor in split screen. One of them's doing a, a British accent. Like, they are douchey white man in three different roles. Uh, I could not... I could not pick any of them out of a lineup, even though they've been in multiple episodes at this point. Fair. Um, and they're like planning this ridiculous, super ultimate final life and death brigade event where they're going to like fly a prop plane to Costa Rica and then base jump off a cliff and then take a raft down the river to a big party, which we've been to Costa Rica. I hundred percent believe you could do shit like that. We rode horses from a volcano to a cloud forest, but but also, I just want to pull out real quick. That's not a great, like, daring scheme. Yeah, like, it's, like, it's cool. It's cool, but it's not like, it's not like having a big, weird Victorian party where people jump off a cliff with umbrellas. Yeah, it doesn't have, it's not quirky. It doesn't have that little, like, whimsical touch that was supposed to make us interested in the Life and Death Brigade, even though it failed. Right, it's just guys jumping out of a plane with parachutes, which people do all the time. Like, yeah, like, it's cool, but it's not really Life and Death brigade um, Yeah. But yeah, so they're planning this thing, and Rory's like, well, wait, so how are you, like, are, how are you going to make sure, like, she starts asking reasonable questions. Like, who's flying the plane? Yeah, like, oh, so who's going to fly the plane? Like, she's not, tr- I, I feel like, at least, I didn't read it as her trying to criticize it's just her asking questions of like, oh, so who's going to fly the plane? Like, oh, okay. Uh, or like the guy reading the map is too drunk to see what the numbers are. Yeah, so she's and like, maybe maybe we glasses? should make sure we know exactly how tall the cliff is. Like, she's pointing out reasonable things. I'm like, okay, well, if you're going to do this, she's kind of trying to help, right? And after, like, two reasonable comments, Logan's like, did you just come home to criticize me, Rory? Like, you know, you want to embarrass me in front of my friends? She's like, and, no, I came home because I live here. Yeah, she's like, I came home because I live here. Also, like, it's Finn and the other one and the third one. Like, I have seen them do way more embarrassing things than have their girlfriend ask them reasonable questions. Like, what the and, hell is going on? And he's just like, you you embarrass me at the office and you embarrass me here and you don't kiss me goodbye when you leave and you haven't forgiven me and that's your problem, Rory. I love that, like, your your Logan voice has just morphed into your Dean voice, which is kind of going like this and then ending it with Rory. Because they're all giant fucking crybabies. God, like... This isn't even a toxic masculinity thing. It's just, like, vaguely be an adult thing. Yeah, like... Here's the thing. So when, when Logan was first introduced, I called him Frat Tristan, right? Because he was, like, you know, a douchey rich boy, but also with a frat boy vibe. And so it was yeah. like, oh, he's like Tristan. I'm really like, no, he's Frat Dean. Yeah, he has morphed into Frat Dean. Frat 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 Dean. He's Frat Dean. He, he's Frat Dean. He's full of toxic masculinity. He's, you know, borderline and now has really crossed over into full-blown abusive. He's very possessive. He's incredibly he possessive over Rory. He wants to be able to do whatever he wants. Yeah, and he, as soon as something doesn't go his way, he turns into a fucking crybaby. Like... <laughs> He's frat Dean. I, I I see the light now. I was wrong all along. I apologize to anybody who was upset by me calling him frat Tristan. He's just Dean with money. Yeah. Like, there, that's it. He's just Dean with money. And he's an adulterer. He's just Dean with money. I, I think he's just a cheater. You become an adulterer when you're married, I think? I think, well, but yeah, but like, well, for starters, I know spoilers enough to know that he's going to be an adulterer. And Well... Well, whatever. It depends on what is technically adultery, but yeah. Well, okay. Let's put it this way: there is no fucking way that whenever down the road, whoever Logan oh, marries, absolutely. he's not going to cheat on her. Like that poor sucker. That's just that's just an accepted fact. That's a, yep. if you don't believe that Logan is going to cheat on his wife in the future, you are in denial. That's just a yeah, fact. that's fair. Uh, so. But what if she can change him? What if she can change him? Yeah, <laughs> whatever. No, Logan sentence. fucking sucks. Like Logan fucking sucks. Okay, There's, so we'll keep going. This episode, this episode, the last handful of episodes have dispelled any doubts in my mind that Logan can ever get better. Yeah, so he just throws a tantrum, like, I'm going to the bar, Rory, and storms out. And she's like, okay, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, and- I have to say, before this, he almost has, like, 
we're just gonna, you know, ignore the fact he's an abusive cheater for a second, but he has more communication than either of them have had in a long time where they actually, like, he actually lays out what their problems are and why it hurts him. And then he goes to the bar and storms off instead of actually talking about it. Yeah, well, yeah, because, like, hey, these problems are coming up and I feel like it's because you haven't forgiven me for this and we need to work on that is, like... That's reasonable. That's reasonable. Like, okay, yeah, again, okay, we'll leave out, we'll, let's pretend- We'll leave out the whys. Yeah, we'll leave out the whys. Let's just say, like, okay, he cheated, and they're trying to make it work. Like, that's not impossible. It is, it is, it is possible for a relationship to be able to move on from that. But, and, and so that is a real, very real problem of, like, okay, we say we're gonna move on from that, but, like, obviously some there's still a roadblock for us being able to do that and we need to check in and talk about it is reasonable yeah the words he's saying are reasonable the tone he's saying them in is him screaming at her that she hasn't forgiven him and acting like that's her problem yep and she needs to fix it yep and then yes he goes off into the goes to the bar so that they don't actually talk about it. Like, there are layers then, to why. And then later goes to Costa Rica. Yeah, yeah. And then and just goes to fucking to Costa Rica without talking to her about it. So, like, yeah. Where he doesn't have cell reception. It's great. Yeah, like, on paper, he almost has a point. But the way he goes about it just digs him deeper. Yeah. Uh, And so, after he leaves, Rory checks her mail. And she sees this RSVP. Not an RSVP, but this invitation to an event from Jess at his... A little publishing house that he works at. So she's like, fuck it. I'm getting in the car. I'm driving to Philadelphia. I'm going to go say hi to Jess. And she gets in the car. She drives over there. She shows up at Jess's event. Uh, Luke and April are also at Jess's event. So she gets to meet April very briefly. It's super awkward. It's super awkward. Um, But then Luke pretty quickly exits the scene after that. We'll get more into what Luke does there when I cover the Luke plot. And Rory basically hangs out, says hi to Jess. They talk for a little while, whatever. And she hangs out way until the end of the event. Everybody else is gone. It's just Rory. Including members of the publishing house, Yeah, so, so Jess is like, you guys go on ahead. I'm going to go talk to Rory. And he kind of heads on over and is like, hey, how's it going? And she's like, hey, he's like, I noticed you came alone. She's like, yeah, yeah, it's just me. And he's like, okay. So you kind of fixed everything? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I I fixed everything. Everything's better now. And he's like, cool. And now Jess. uh, Sweet, dumb Jess. Sweet, dumb. As much as I love him, he does make some, he jumps to some conclusions from that interaction. They are not entirely unreasonable conclusions to jump to, but also. Not entirely reasonable. I feel like he could have, he could have asked a couple more clarifying questions before this next course of action, he leans in to kiss her, and yeah. she leans in and kisses him back, and they kiss for a couple seconds, and then she kind of shrinks away and is like, wait, I'm sorry, this isn't right. And he's like, you're still with that guy. This is a question we should have asked beforehand. This yes. is a question he should have asked beforehand. And she's like, yeah, I'm sorry. And she basically says, like, I couldn't even cheat on him the way that he cheated on me. He's like, oh, he cheated on you. Yeah. Then okay. Jess, Jess, Jess realizes three fundamental truths at the exact same time, right? That she is still with Logan. That Logan cheated on her. And that her coming here was kind of with the intent of cheating on Logan with Jess to get back at Logan. Mm-hmm. And he's like... Oh, and then the, 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 basically, like, he confirms, and then he the first thing out of, his, out of his mouth are just, I don't deserve this, you know? <laughs> and Rory's like, does it. Because he like, doesn't. And Rory's like, you know, you don't. You don't deserve this. I'm sorry. If we needed more confirmation that Rory and Jess have switched who's good, too good for who so concretely, we have it right here and now. Right? Like, okay, yes, kissing her when he hadn't confirmed for sure she was broken up wasn't great but i can also see enthusiastic consent kids yeah but like well well because here's the thing right he he didn't confirm super super confirm that she was single right which is a problem but he he he, did the slow lean and she seemed comfortable he leaned in his halfway and he gave her space to meet him there right he yeah. didn't just, like, lean in and shove his face in her face. 
I mean, it was a little bit shoving his face in her face, but there was at least enough lead in that she understood what was happening. Yeah, he didn't surprise her, right? So from like a bare bones consent situation, I don't think Jess did anything wrong here. Yeah, it's not perfect. It's not textbook. I wouldn't recommend it. Kids get right. enthusiastic consent, but Right. It's it's not the problem. <laughs> no, that's not that is not the problem in this situation. He jumped to some conclusions, which isn't great. Rory also gave some misleading answers to his obviously leading questions, so I think they both that they both can shoulder it on this one. But yeah, so he's just like, I, I don't deserve this. She's like, yeah, you don't. I'm sorry. And he's like, why why are you still with this guy? He cheated on you. He's a douchebag. Like, okay, fine. You don't want to be with me. I get it. But why are you still with this guy? And she's like, I don't know. I love him. Like, it's, it's so bad. She's like, I know he's so terrible to me, but I'm in love with him. And it's like, oh, God, please, please make it stop. And then Jess, like, <laughs> terrible, Wait. laughable, like, season two Jess comes back for a minute. And he's like... Yeah, he's, he's, he's mad petty. He's like, love, right? I guess I got to go talk to my poet friend and maybe he can explain it to me. They understand love, right? It was like, oh, my God, Jess. <laughs> Are you 15? <laughs> you like, got your oh, shit, buddy. You've gotten your shit back together, but you're still the same fucking dork we know and love. God damn it, Jess. <laughs> Although I think his capper here comes next of one of the best thing he does in this scene. Yeah, so Rory's like, I'm just going to go. And she starts to leave and he's like, hey, hey, if you want to tell him that we did something, you can. (laughs) (laughs) Which is very just like, like, I'm not going to be an accessory to your infidelity. But if you, you want to tell him that you a little bit, yeah, like if you want to tell him that we boned just to piss him off, like I'm, I, I, I'll, I'll jump on that bullet, I'll jump on that grenade for the look on his face. So, uh, like, yeah, and I, and I believe that series wrap on Jess. That is series wrap on Jess. He comes back in a year in the life, but that is series wrap on Jess. Yeah, it's so telling the, Rory that he can tell that she can tell Logan that they they cheated. Yeah, like it, it is very much. It is very much like. Uh, is it Easy A? Where, it's been a while where, since I've seen Easy A. Where the whole thing, is, like the whole thing of Easy A, isn't that she actually oh, has yeah. sex with anybody, but she tells she lets a guy tell yeah. everybody at school that they had sex so he'll seem cool. Yeah. It, it was very much kind of like that. So that's the Rory plot. The Luke plot, uh, he's getting ready to go on this trip with April and her class. And there's a there's more dumb bag drama with Lorelai, whatever, I don't care. Nobody cares. Nobody um, cares. And he gets going on this trip. He meets all the other adults. Uh, and they're all just kind of like frumpy adults who Luke doesn't really know how to relate to. And they're even like, oh, you're April's father. Like, oh, so you must know so-and-so. She, he's, he's her math teacher. And he's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm actually kind of new in the picture. Like, nice to meet you. And so there's, there's a couple scenes that are just like, I can understand it from both April and Luke's perspective. And both times it's painfully awkward where all the adults are sitting together. But then Luke is just sitting next to April with all her friends. And so it's yeah. just like these 12-year-old girls all hanging out and then Luke, the grown-ass adult man, sitting with them. Yeah. And, like, I get it from Luke's perspective that he's here... To spend time with his daughter. To spend time with his daughter. But at the same time, like, Luke, she's here to spend time with her friends. She doesn't need her dad that she also still only kind of knows hanging around. Like, 12-year-olds want to talk about stuff away from adults. Yeah. So, like... Well, they said teenager multiple times. She might be 13 by now. Yeah, he says 12-year-old, but he also says teenager a couple times. So, yeah, they're like 12, 13. Um, Either way, they're that age. Middle schoolers. Yeah, they're middle schoolers. They're an age where they do not want to have your dad sitting at the table while they talk. And not even because they're, like, going to talk about anything scandalous, but just because, like, I don't know. That's they the age. Privacy. That's the age where you still are a loud weirdo, but you start to feel a little self-conscious about being a loud weirdo. Um, at least some of you do. <laughs> and then there's your, there's your one friend who still isn't quite there yet, so it's like, please stop shouting about Pokemon in the middle of the mall. Luke's, like, sitting there, and, like, he's also starting to get on really well with one of the boys in class, who just, like, obviously is 
kind of like Luke, and so they're talking and they're having fun, and he's like coming up with little like mnemonic devices to remember all the kids' names and getting all their specific food orders right and everything. It's actually very sweet seeing Luke kind of becoming like Papa Bear to this group of teenagers and preteens. Um, but then at one point, uh, April pulls Luke aside and is like, "Hey, so couple things." One, Freddy, this boy that you're getting along with, I kind of have a crush on him. And my dad calling him Freddy, Freddy, Apple Brown Betty isn't helping with that. So can you please not? And he's like, oh, okay. Uh, And then she's like, also, just in general, like, I kind of don't want to be the kid who has my dad sitting next to me all the time. And he's like, oh, Right. Like, he realizes it as soon as she says it. I'm like, oh, right, I'm sorry. That's weird. I'll go sit with the adults. She's like, okay, cool. And then he goes, they go to this Jess event. And so we get a really nice scene of Luke and Jess, both just, like, as adults, getting along, kind of ribbing each other. In a similar way to, like, Jess used to kind of rib Luke in the early series, but without that veneer of him being a shitty teenager. Like, they're just two adult men kind of giving each other shit and drinking a beer and getting along. Yeah, there, there's, an like, the additional secret ingredient of respect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and you can still tell, like, Jess still looks up to Luke. Luke is still proud of Jess. Like, there's still kind of that, you know, uncle who raised me vibe, but they're, like, it's changed because they're both adults. Yeah, totally. And, like, Luke even says, I'm proud of you. It's so good. Like, okay, so, so like, April meets Jess, meets Rory. It's kind of awkward. And then at one point, Luke's like, I'm going to head out. And Jess is like, wait, 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 I got something for you. So he runs upstairs, and he brings down a copy of his book with a check tucked in between the pages. And he's like, here. And Luke's like, no, hey, come on. You don't need to pay me back, for one. Like, Jess already paid him back for the car stuff however many seasons ago, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, this is for taking care of him. Yeah, this is this is just in general of like, hey, thanks for taking care of me, which is like, you don't need to pay him back for that. He did it because he's family. But Jess says like, even if you rip up the check, I'm just going to send you another one. Please take it. And Luke's like, okay, fine, but please let me buy your book. He's like, no, 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 it's yours. Please. I, I'm really, really thankful for everything you did for me. And then Luke tells Jess he's proud of him. <laughs> and they hug. And they hug. They hug. It's like it's so not a shame hug. This is like a full-on two men hugging for a couple seconds. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't even like the the awkward shoulder hug, right? So many levels of this scene are nothing that Luke would plan for himself. Like he's in like a scene listening to weird slam poetry that's not very good. He's looking at you know, abstract art, and he's making jokes to Jess about how he doesn't understand it, and they're they're ribbing each other about that. But so many of the ways that Jess acts is because of who Luke was in his life. Like, the fact that he's here, that he finished writing a book, he didn't just start it and give up, that he has a job that he's holding down that's a small business that he's proud of. Yeah. And that, you know, like, yes, he doesn't have to pay it back. He's family. It's silly to pay it back. But Liz would have never paid that back. 100%. Like, we've seen Liz. She's not the kind. She is going to be assuming that her big brother can take care of her and let everything fall okay. And just when he was introduced, was, like, a crappy kid who wouldn't appreciate what Luke was doing for him. Like Yeah, he was just like, I didn't ask you to take, take me in, Luke. Right. So, so many things that Luke sees here are, like, obviously because of who Luke was to him. 100%. Like and, and just like we can get into it more when we talk about what we thought, but like it, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful end to Jess's character arc, absolutely. Right? Which I know he comes back in the revival, but for all intents and purposes, as it was being written, this was intended to be the end of Jess's character arc, and it's beautiful. So they hug, and they leave, and then there's a last scene on the bus where like Luke is hanging out with the adults and is like, hey, we got these pamphlets about Amish country that we're driving through. Should we hand them out now? And Luke's like, I'll do it. He takes the pamphlets. He like gets, he, it's, it's so funny. I was just had flashbacks to my teacher years of him just getting the class's attention, handing out pamphlets like, oh, here's Amish country. He throws in a few jokes. He hands out the pamphlets. And then he also was like, oh, in April here, I gave you your sweater in case you get cold. And April takes it. And then you see her turn to her friend and she's like, my dad is so overprotective. 
and her friend's like, yeah, I know, so overprotective. And Luke overhears that, and he kind of smiles, because this is the first time, well, the whole episode, she just calls him Luke. And this is the first time she says, my dad. And so, like, they've figured out the boundaries, right, where he knows how to be her dad. Yeah. And that's nice. And that is everything that happened on this week's episode of Gilmore Girls. It was a lot. Uh, What happened this week on Dragon Ball Z Kai? Uh, A lot and not much. I'm going to get the Gohan plot out of the way. We got three seconds of the Supreme Creep still dancing. Uh, That's the entire Gohan plot. Yep. Gotenks, the last time we saw him was going down to Earth to try to kill Boo. Uh, so he is all bravado. He's like, oh, I can do this easy. And he, like, you know, shoots off a couple of shots that pierce Boo that's like, that was just to say hello. Uh, and he lets off an attack that he thinks is going to be enough to kill Boo. He is just like, oh, darn, I vaporized him when I said I would bring back the body. It's like, don't bring back the body, go tanks. Uh, but Boo comes in and he's just a pair of legs. <laughs> Because apparently he cleanly got the top half of Boo, but not the bottom. And as we know, like, even a tiny bit of Boo is enough to bring him back. Mm-hmm. And this was Gotenks who left without going Super Saiyan. So uh, Boo doesn't like this. Boo really doesn't like this. And beats the crap out of Gotenks. Gotenks and is about to kill him until uh, the world's army, whatever nation, state exists in Dragon Ball, comes to attack Boo. The Defense Force. Gotenks is like, please don't do that. You are not ready for this. Uh, but they try to attack Boo. They all die. Gotenks uses this as an opportunity to get back to the Watchtower. And Piccolo chides him. He's like, hey, there's a reason we had an extra 24 hours. We need to train you. Any last bit of extra strength you've got could be exponentially powerful when you're in when you're in fusion. It it almost reminded me there was a bit in Dan Slot's run on She-Hulk where She-Hulk has to bulk up to get super strong and one of her friends is like, why do you always work out as She-Hulk? And it's like, because She-Hulk's stronger. He's like, yeah, but she's exponentially stronger, so why don't you work out as Jen Walters? Like your alter ego. And it's all about, you know, Jen Walters versus She-Hulk and how she feels about that dual identity, but... In this case, it's the same thing. It's like, work out in your less strong form if your other form is exponentially more powerful and take the time you have instead of just running off uh, like an idiot. So Gotenks maybe has learned a bit of a lesson. Um, It gets really weird for a minute here. Uh, I'm guessing it was something weird with Kai. You can tell me in a minute because I saw you doing research. So if you found something, great. Um... But the art style shifts to, like, this weird, almost, like, it almost looked like designs on, like, merchandise or something, where the lines are thick and sketchy. They're all straight lines, uh, so you have to have, like, a couple of angled lines to make up a curve. Uh, And it just goes over, like, this weird, cute, very saturated art style telling us how Boo has killed 80% of the world? And we just get, like, a little bit of Boo turning everyone into candy, and then we get a couple of different style shifts. Uh, And the narrator is then telling us from the perspective of Earthlings how everything has gotten terrible, but they have one last hope. You know, this amazing super weapon who is the ultimate hero to us all. Uh, So he is very much talking from the perspective of what lay people think, not what the Z fighters think, which is interesting. Uh, They take us to a bunker deep underground. It's very much like a scene in a spy movie uh, where, you know, they're talking to the Mission Impossible crew about this weird bunker underground or James Bond or something. uh, Because apparently Mr. Satan has been training underground and he is ready to come back to the surface. And even here, there's like, you know, when they stop on Mr. Satan, there's like a freeze frame still of a watercolor print of Mr. Satan in profile. It's all very strange. Um, and... A lot of anime from the 90s would kind of do that as, like, a drama shot. Right, but, I mean, like, in combination, we had, like, three or four different new art styles very briefly for, like, a five-minute stretch, and then nothing else for the rest of the series so far. 
like, except things occasionally going to black and white, there hasn't been anything like this. And there were multiple different kinds of new art in a short period of time. It was very weird editing on the Kai side, because you could kind of tell that this was a Kai let's, like, make timing work thing. Or mm-hmm. at least that's what it felt like. And it felt so strange. Um, so we've got this government officer taking Mr. Satan to Boo's house. And Mr. Satan's plan is not very clear. Obviously, when other people are here, he's trying to make himself look as powerful as possible without actually putting himself in danger. So he's very quietly yelling for Boo to come out. He's like, hey, come out. I'm going to fight you. And the general is like, oh, he can't hear you. Let me help. And then bellows loudly like, hey, boo, come out and fight Mr. Satan. Um, And Mr. Satan finally, like, boo doesn't show up. So he's like, okay, he's not here. You guys go away. I'm going to do my work. And they're like, why do you have this bag? And he's like, it's my bag. Don't worry about it. So he leaves. It's, once again, very unclear if his plan, like, what his plan is. Because uh, he starts bellowing that he is the most powerful and he's going to defeat Boo. And so as soon as he's on his own, he starts yelling for Boo to come out. And that, you know, you're so weak and I'm so powerful and I fart on you. Like, he actually farts. There's a little, like, pink puff cloud because apparently uh, Mr. Satan does fart Chanel number five. Um, Boo actually comes up at that point. And he just starts kowtowing to Boo, talking about how great Boo is. So I don't know why his, like, him yelling that he's the greatest and he's going to defeat Boo and, you know, yelling at Boo to come out and fight doesn't really make sense for any motivations. Boo wasn't there. There were no people there to hear him. And his plan, as we're going to see in a second, is all contingent on him pretending to be nice to Boo. Uh, So I was very confused what his approach was, but it, it clarifies in a second. Uh, he just tells Boo how great he is, how powerful he is, how cool he thinks he is. And Boo is loving it. Like, this is actually working real well. Uh, he gets some chocolate out of his bag and says he's got these ritzy chocolates. And Boo's like, what's ritzy? And he explains that they're fancy. And Boo tries them. And he thinks they're so much better than the people chocolate he's been making. Uh, which is fair, because if you think about it, Boo's never, ha- like, Boo had real cake once. And other than that, he's had what he's made out of people. So even if he has a conception of chocolate, he probably doesn't have a conception of the best chocolate. Um, the secret plan here is the chocolates are poisoned. So Mr. Satan was hoping that they'd kill Boo like they'd kill a person. Uh, but Boo's physiology does not work like that. Boo could eat toxic sludge and be fine. Uh, So all Boo thinks is that these were slightly more delicious chocolates. Maybe they've got that nice almond flavor. (laughs) Um, So he's got a second plan. And like, for a second, this seems like actually the best plan anyone has had with Boo so far. (laughs) Uh, Which is to give him a Game Boy. (laughs) I don't know, a Game Boy. A Game Boy uh, with a P. But he gives him the Game Boy and, like, Boo is frustrated at first, and it looks like everything's going to go bad because Boo is not good at the game that he gave him. And he's, he's like, trying oh. to play a Game Boy with mittens on. He's trying to play a Game Boy with mittens on, poor thing. Like also, many he's never children. played video games before. He's probably bad at them. He's probably bad at them. So Mr. Satan switches it to an easier game before Boo kills him, and Boo is having fun. He's, like, playing this matching game, and it's like, yes, honestly. Like, if we had one person who was, like, used to dealing with homicidal dictators and children. That's exactly who we want to give to Boo. Just to, like, give Boo a nanny for 24 hours and give him a Game Boy and where the Earth is safe. Uh, this is not quite Mr. Satan's plan. He uh, gives the Game Boy is actually explosive. And so he tries to explode Boo. It doesn't kill Boo. He's terrified he's going to die. Uh, but Boo actually likes it. He thought that the explosion was cool. He thought it was a fun surprise at the end. And he yeah, to be, yeah, to be Mr. fair, if explosions didn't hurt you, if you play a game and then at the end it explodes, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, and so he likes Mr. Satan. He wants Mr. Satan to be his servant. So he has hired on Mr. Satan. Uh, Mr. Satan's like, yes, cool. Please don't kill me. I'll be your servant. I'll figure this out. Because Mr. Satan, if nothing else, like... He's a liar, and he is full of himself, and he isn't great, 
But uh, he is a survivor. So what he does is he says, okay, uh, lie down, close your eyes. I'm going to take a picture like I defeated you. Because uh, it's a hip thing with all the kids. And so he can send out an image of him defeating Boo to make the humans believe that they're safe when they're not. And then he uh, he is given some human candy from Boo, who is quite clear that this is candy he made out of people. Uh, apparently it doesn't taste good and is morally concerning. So when Boo isn't looking, Mr. Satan spits it out. But uh, Mr. Satan is Boo's servant now. And that is where the episode ends. Yeah, pretty much. What did you think of this episode of Gilmore Girls? Honestly, I like this episode of Gilmore Girls. Yeah. I think I think this is the first episode this season that I can just straight up say I liked this episode of Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Yeah, like, the Luke plot... I mean, okay, so I already alluded to it. The Jess stuff was really good because I feel like Jess in general in this episode, we really got to see, like, Jess having come full... Not full circle, but Jess having completed his growth as a character he stands up for himself with rory when he says like i don't deserve you treating me this way right Mm -hmm. like he kind of falls back into his old pattern of just like i'll do anything for rory for a minute there but then like when it's clear that rory is still on her bullshit he's like okay you know what i don't deserve this this isn't what i need this isn't worth it and like i know that again i know he's going to come back in the revival and i know that there are at least are some hints of something between the two of them in the revival, but it's impossible for Alexis Bledel and Milo Ventimiglia to not have chemistry. Yeah. G- leaving that aside, I feel like the logical end to Jess's character arc here is him realizing that Rory's not worth waiting around for. And for him having a good relationship with Luke. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to get to that. Okay. Sorry. So, like, like, so for like Jess and Rory, I think that the, the logical place to end is him realizing that like, you know, she's great, I like her, but she's not, like, she's not worth the amount of pain I'm gonna have to go through to keep staying hung up on her, and there are other people out there, and I don't deserve this, and, like, that's growth, that's really good growth for Jess. Yeah. And then with Luke, like, like I said before, like, it's Luke having a mutually respectful adult relationship with Luke, where... He, like, they can rib each other, but they can also be honest with each other about their emotions. They can hug. And, like, he understands and is grateful for everything Luke did for him. Well, and even, like, Luke doesn't understand necessarily what he's doing, but he sees the value of it. Yeah. Yeah, like, Like, he's kind of making fun of the art they have hanging on the walls and stuff. But... Like, but it's more like this isn't my thing, not this is not valuable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, he's not he's not being cruel about it. No. And yeah, so I, th- I just thought that as a farewell for Jess, this was a really good episode. Yeah. Like, if we're going to commit to Rory being the way she is now, then no, they shouldn't end up together. And this is how their relationship would end. So that was all really good. I I liked the the Luke and April stuff in this episode too. Like I still think the April plot's dumb, right? It's a dumb plot. It doesn't need to be here. I really think it's stupid. But if we're gonna do this, if we're gonna do an April plot, if we're gonna do Luke has a secret daughter, this was a good way to like actually dig into Luke as a character while doing it. Mm-hmm. And like Luke kind of being a dad was cute. Yeah. And. I thought that it was reasonable and realistic how the two of them had, like, that they had to have this conversation and how they worked it out and how they found their boundaries in the process. Because mm-hmm. Luke has no idea how to be the, be a dad, especially yeah. starting at 12 or 13, and that's the start of their relationship. He, you know, he needs to learn how to set these boundaries. Especially if you look at his history of being a dad, because, like... Him being with Jess highlights again that he was kind of a dad figure before. Yeah, but like but for what, what two years while Jess was sixteen. Well, not even that. What it was like also to a kid who was already in trouble, and who was already pushing him away. So now he's got April, who's not pushing him away. She's letting him in. He's excited to be there. He doesn't quite know what he's doing. She doesn't need the same help that Jess did, but he wants to be there and be with her and be around her. 
And so if she's not actively pushing away, why would he leave? Like, I mean, not like leave in a bad way, but give her the space she needs as a teenager. He would have no reason to know that. He just sees that she's kind of the opposite of what Jess was at a slightly older age. And so he's just going to be there all the time until he's told no. <laughs> and so it's, it is sweet and kind of cool to watch him learn what the boundaries are with a new and different person. Yeah, it was good character work. And, like, the Rory stuff, like, again, I still, I, I don't like that this plot is still happening. I don't like that she got back together with Logan. I don't like this. But right. the this episode treated the situation appropriately, I think, with, like, again, kind of like we talked about last episode, where if we're gonna do she's trapped in an abusive relationship, they are at least... Or pr- even, like, I mean, because... They're not going to acknowledge it's abusive. We're just going to say right now she's trapped in a toxic relationship that's not good, like where somebody cheated on her. Yeah. Even viewing it the way they view it. Right. And so keeping those things in mind, like, they're at least treating that with at least close to the proper gravity. Yeah. And I like that she stood up for herself in this episode because when Logan started coming after her, this episode is her standing up to Logan. When he starts to come after her, she's like, what the hell are you talking about? I came home because I live here. Uh, I criticized, quote unquote, your plan because I wanted to make sure it was safe. Um, And I took shit away from you with the paper because you're a shitty writer and you shouldn't be on the paper anymore. Like, I'm surprised she hasn't just fucking fired him. Yeah. So I felt that that was all realistic. And even her going to go see Jess and being like, fine, if he's going to cheat on me, I'm going to cheat on him. Like, not healthy. No. But a reasonable but reaction to the situation she's been put in. And I, I f- could follow and understand her motivations throughout this episode, which is something I haven't been able to say about Rory for a long time. Yeah. I I also want to say one other good thing about this episode. Uh, you know, obviously it's not what's going to happen. But if we watch this episode in isolation, without any of the episodes that come after it, The last time we saw Logan, he was going off to an area with no cell reception for an unknown period of time, probably a couple days, uh, in to jump out of a plane in a plan that had been planned out by a drunk man where he reacted negatively when Rory said, maybe look at it sober. For all we know, he jumped out of a plane and died. That would be so nice. It would be so nice. That would be so nice. Like, at this point, it wouldn't even be, like, a weird hard left turn or out-of-nowhere plot twist. Like, if if next week it was just, like, Logan fucking dies, I'd be like, oh, thank God. And, like, think about it. The exciting plots you could have from, like, the unloved girlfriend of the heir to a giant fortune tries to navigate his horrible rich family... When, like, her boyfriend, who she didn't even like anymore, dies? Like, what is that? I want that. I want to know what that mess looks like. Join us next week for episode two of Bunheads. Me and Marie Kondo want to be there. Yeah, like, yeah. So that was, that was, the Rory plot, I think I felt the weakest on, but it was at least, like, reasonable, right? I didn't dislike it. Um, And then the Lorelai plot, like, (sighs) Lorelai definitely, I think, in the last season or so has suffered the most of just kind of being in the middle and going where the plot takes her. But it was just kind of fun to have a more lighthearted, quirky episode for Lorelai. Yeah. I didn't like how like extremely stupid it made Emily and Richard and Lorelai to a degree, but it was still fun. Yeah, it was exactly. It was fun. Like, like I laughed out loud multiple times watching this episode and that's been a while. Which I can't remember the last time I've actually laughed watching this show. Like, the humor was there this week in a way that it hasn't been lately. So, like, honestly, I'm going to say, this is a good episode of Gilmore Girls. It's not, like, a fantabulously amazing episode of Gilmore Girls. But this is a good episode of Gilmore Girls. I think this is Especially easily... Especially for season six. Yeah, this is easily the best episode of the season. Yeah. And I, um, unless, like, unless they're saving something, I think that at the end of, uh, at our end of season wrap up, I'm going to say this was my favorite episode of the season. Yeah. What did you think of this week's Dragon Ball Z Kai? You know what? I enjoyed, I will say it, I enjoyed the Boo Satan plot. It was fun. It was fun. It was, 
I think they play around too much with the back and forth of like, is he pretending to be brave or not? So it makes his motivations a little muddled when he's by himself. His shtick going into the episode, yeah, was... But the plot, like, I could watch multiple episodes. I could watch a short series about, you know, this guy who was champion of the universe through trickery and a horrible baby who can kill him. And they're trying to get along, and he's trying to keep himself alive. Like, if that was a whole show, I could see that being a show on Crunchyroll next season. Totally. Like, I think that, unlike all the other stupid crap people have tried against Boo, this is the first time where, even though it didn't work, and we knew it wasn't going to work, like, we knew nothing he was going to try was going to work, but... I, I I like that you can at least look at it and say, oh, I can see how he thought that would work. Yeah, and I think it's a smarter approach to it than most people have tried, but also, like, I can see why it backfired in a, like, I appreciate that it backfired in a different way than I was expecting, where it makes Boo like him more instead of getting angry and killing him. Yes, and... Like, they did something new and interesting and they never do that. And I'm grateful. Yes. It's something new and interesting. And it is going to be important. Like I can tell you this plot between Boo and Mr. Satan is actually going to matter and is going to have an effect on the story moving forward. And that's great. Yeah. Like, honestly, I feel like, uh, when we had James on a couple episodes ago, he said that like the, bit with the blind kid is kind of the start of a really good arc for Boo and this is kind of where it continues on yeah and it really works in both humanizing Boo and humanizing Mr. Satan who are both characters who have been underutilized until now and I think that they both get they they are too they're not peanut butter and chocolate because they're not too great tastes that taste great together but no they're two horrible tastes who taste great together yeah i'm trying to think of a a better example but yeah they're two things that don't work really but putting them together it works and that's the alchemy you need to actually make for an entertaining story well and it's nice because dragon ball has a ton of big personalities with broad strokes that should play against each other Like, everybody has a very defined personality. Like, it's not deep, but it's defined. But we don't usually see how those interact together. Um, I think the thing that people are probably thinking of right now is saying, no, we see Vegeta and Goku play off each other. But really what we see most of the time is Goku and Vegeta existing in the same space and Goku, like, being a happy-go-lucky bouncy ball wherever he is. And Vegeta's personality taking over because Vegeta will see anyone who's more powerful than him as a threat, a rival, and someone to be hated and, you know, jealous of. And so what we see when we see most character interactions is we see the more powerful characters' personality dominate instead of them augmenting each other. Yeah. Like... The, the peanut butter and chocolate, nobody's two great tastes that taste great together. They're just two great tastes that happen to be existing in the same space. We don't get the Reese's peanut butter cup. We get a spoon of peanut butter and a, like, block of chocolate. Yeah. But he, here we actually see, like, how Mr. Satan's drive to be, like, keep his ego, but also his extreme willingness to do whatever it takes to survive, come out comes out in a new way in reaction to Boo's incredibly childlike nature, his extremely volatile personality, and his violent sweetness. And his (laughs) desire for validation. And his desire for validation, exactly. And so, like, somebody who, like, two people who need to be validated very strongly, but in different ways, who come together in an interesting way, with the high stakes of Mr. Satan could die at any moment, like... Or be exposed. Like, Mr. Satan has high stakes on two levels. He could be exposed or he could die. And it's unclear which he thinks is worse. It's unclear which he thinks is worse. And Boo doesn't have as high of stakes, but he does have a motivation of trying to be validated and being willing to kill anybody who doesn't give it to him. We see that earlier in the episode. There's a guy who's drowning and Boo saves him accidentally. And then he's like, oh, wait. I'm running from the monster, you're the monster, and Boo's like, screw you, I'm killing you, I'm throwing you, and then I'm hitting you with a laser. Like, 
there is actual stuff happening when these two characters combine, and that's definitely enough for me to be willing to overlook that weird five minutes where they became, like, uh, a more highly produced, better animated war short from the 1940s that they'd put before a movie. Yeah. Um, there was a little moment in this episode that doesn't really mean anything, but I, I wanted to point out that I appreciated. When Mr. Satan pulls out the box of chocolates, he like he gets down and like hands it to him very formally like you would present a gift. Mm-hmm. Like on his hands and knees, like he's offering the gift up to like, you know, the local daimyo or something. And he says, you know, here, I got you something. It's not much, but I hope you'll enjoy it. And Boo's like, oh, well, if it's not much, I don't want it. Yeah. And it's this really interesting little moment where, like, Mr. Satan is trying to do what he thinks you should do when you kowtow to somebody, including downplaying the Uh gift, because that's what the polite... Downplaying your own importance. Yeah, that's the the polite thing to do in his culture. But Boo doesn't have... Boo, Boo knows no social rules. Boo doesn't have a culture. I mean, Boo's culture is what he's put together from the bits and pieces he's seen. Yeah, like Boo doesn't. Ha- well, and like Boo has literally no social norms. Like no, Boo doesn't. He was never raised in a culture. Boo doesn't even have the social norm of don't kill people. Like Boo does literally knows absolutely no social graces from even the most barest of definitions. So. When you tell him, here's a gift, but it's not very much, he he interprets it literally as, here's some crap. Which I just thought that was really charming and true to Boo's character in a, in a fun little way. And those little details are so often what sells characterization like that. And so that moment really stood out to me of like, oh, yeah, of course Boo wouldn't get that that's just what you're supposed to say. Well, and then the one-two punch of the ritzy chocolate. Yeah. Like, yes, it's poisoned. But, like, one, Boo has no idea what the word ritzy means. And when he hears that it means fancy, he wants that because he wants to be a big fancy man. Like, he wants to be a big fancy important man. He doesn't know much, but he knows that. (laughs) But on the other hand, he, like, says it's so much better than the chocolate he's been having. And, like, I know I said it before, but I'll say it again. He doesn't actually know what chocolate and candy and cookies taste like. For somebody who loves chocolate and candy and cookies so much, like, has he had them? He's had some cake. But other than that, he hasn't had anything man-made. He's just been making his own. And I think the tragedy of Boo, like, yes, he's a homicidal maniac, but there is so much normalcy he could have had if he had been born anywhere else. Yes. Like, I'm not going to say, oh, well, if he had, like, at this point, he doesn't seem, like, he still seems to be happy to kill people. We don't really, we can't really say, but, like, he hasn't had real chocolate. He has never played with a Game Boy. If he was given, like, a Game Boy and some chocolate and someone to be nice to him who cares about him, then maybe he wouldn't be a, like, he wouldn't be dangerous, he might not understand that killing is wrong, but maybe he could get to a point where he understands that. Or maybe he would always be violent and think killing was fine, but you wouldn't get there because, you know, to the massive scales of 80% of the world being destroyed if you had taken a slightly different approach. He wants the validation of being told he's handsome and great, but that's also probably because no one's told him that he's loved. <laughs> totally. And like that, that through line will be important. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like that was all fun, and like I don't know, I thought the I thought the fight between Gotenks and Boo was fun. Yeah, and it was short, which I appreciate. Yeah, it was quick. It was to the point. I really appreciate that he was like, "I don't have time to talk. I need to fucking kill you." Like he understands he's on a time limit and actually acts with that urgency, which was refreshing. Yes. And I like that he just gets beaten up and then comes back home and is like, "Well, I was wrong." Like. I don't know. It had a it, it, it the the fight itself was visually fun and interesting and it was kind of just filling time, but th- there have been worse ways they've just filled time. Yeah. Uh do you have any questions about Gilmore Girls? Um only one and you can't answer it. So 
when Lorelai is giving her parents the tour of the town and is actively bad-mouthing it, at one point she goes into Dosie's and starts talking shit about all the food in Dosie's, and then Taylor comes up to them and starts citing some random esoteric law that was put on the books in 1792 that it's apparently illegal to speak ill of Stars Hollow while in Stars Hollow, and, uh, like, the punishment is 40 muskets. Yeah. And Lorelai's like, are you kidding me, Taylor? Shut up, go away. But then Taylor says, like, as mayor, I could have you locked up for this. Yep. Did I did I forget a story arc where Taylor becomes mayor? No. When did Taylor become mayor? <sighs> He's town selectman. He's mayor. It doesn't seem to, like, it just... They don't seem to care enough about the politics of Stars Hollow to keep their elected officials straight. Yeah, like, he he lost the town selectman post to Jackson. And then we've just never heard, and, like, apparently off screen, he got town selectman back from Jackson and then became mayor. And all this happened off screen, and we're just supposed to pretend it's cool. Yep. Cool. Uh, that's my only question. Do you have any questions about Dragon Ball Z Kai? Yeah, why is Satan making a big show when he's alone? Does he think, like, as... Especially if his plan is to trick Boo. Why is he undercutting his own chances to trick Boo before he actually goes with his real plan? Yeah, I don't totally understand what the point was there. I think it's just that Toriyama wasn't really thinking his character motivations through super well at the beginning of that scene. Gotcha. Because um, that's just his usual shtick. I don't, I don't think there's a good answer to that. And it's a, I feel like it's a missed opportunity for Satan to be different when he's alone, but oh well. Yeah, I know. Because, like, so much of what we see is the face that Mr. Satan is putting on for other people. And, like, him cowering quietly to himself. But, like, what is he, like, in between, like, bravado and, like, complete fear? We will never get to see. Like, has has he bought into his own hype so much that he doesn't even know how to be genuine with himself? Maybe. Like, that, that'd be tragic. Oh, I... It's not surprising that Mr. Satan's tragic. I know, but yeah, I, I agree. Uh, another thing. So we see Boo's house again, and I was still kind of angry at Boo, so I didn't ask this before when we see it, but Boo's house is almost like a white caterpillar of blobs, yeah. right? Where did Boo get the design for this house? It doesn't look like the like place where he was hatched. And it doesn't look like human houses, but he seems to get most of his ideas off of seeing things humans have. And he's seen enough human houses by the time he makes it. So where does he get the design for this house? I think I think it just it it just popped out of his creative little brain. No, oh, that's cute. Like, okay, that, that kid logic, right? Of like, I want a house, but I want my house to be a caterpillar. Fair. Like that's fair. something that's something like a four year old would say. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, who do you want to swap? April and Majin Buu. Okay. Because I think that, like, a field trip with a bunch of kids would be the, like, would be, like, a good environment for Majin Buu right now. Yeah. He, like, it's a place where people are protecting him and, uh-huh. you know, you, you, you try to treat your kids with respect where he's provided with food, where there are interesting places for him to go and things for him to see, and Luke would be constantly next to him, validating him and showing an interest in him, and I think that would be nice. And if he got, you know, Luke Luke has learned how to talk about boundaries now, so he'd be able to, like, figure that out with Majin Buu, and, I don't know, being treated like a kid might help. Kids want structure. Yeah, Exactly. And then at the same time, uh, Mr. Satan and April, like, I feel like Mr. Satan knows what to do with a kind of precocious preteen girl. Like, obviously, Videl is, you know, punchier and a little jockier than April. But I feel like Videl was probably not too dissimilar from April at that age. Yeah. And so that's something that Mr. Satan could handle. Like, for all that we talk about Mr. Satan being incompetent and being a coward and being a blowhard, like, he raised Videl to be, like, you know, a, a, a pretty decent kid. 
Like, like, you know, as much as we've, we've pointed out Videl's faults in the past, like, Videl's a functioning member of society with a strong yeah. sense of justice and, like, normal social skills. Yeah. So, and she really looks up to her dad, and so, like, I feel like he would know how to, how to be a good dad to April. Yeah. And, yeah, I think, I just think that would be nice. I think those would be nice scenes. See, similarly, I'd want to swap uh, Luke with Mr. Satan. Okay. Uh, I feel like this organization, like, cuts down on the casualties a little bit. Uh, It's not putting Majin Buu on a packed school bus full of loud children. If nothing else, like, you don't want Majin Buu on a packed school bus full of loud children. Even if he's not murderous, do you really want to teach Buu the song that gets on everybody's nerves? No. No, you don't. (laughs) Uh, So instead, we'd have, you know, still Buu in his house, but, like, not only does, like, Luke know how to be a dad to April, he was a dad to, like, he's been a dad to a precocious kid, but he's also been a dad to a kid who acts out. That's true. He, he's been a dad to he, both. He's been a dad to both. He would see, like, I think he would get frustrated with Boo, but if he can, like, figure out how to deal with it past the initial not getting murdered, he would probably, like, teach Boo how to run a diner and make yummy food for himself. And, like, I feel like Boo would enjoy making food for himself. He likes making it out of people. He doesn't have much of an attention span yet, but if Boo taught, like, if if Luke taught him how to make Mickey Mouse pancakes in a universe where Disney could not sue the pants off of him, Boo would be so happy to put on, like, the whipped cream nose or whatever. That's true. Meanwhile, Mr. Satan on a bus full of children will either get all of them worshipping him or pelting him with, like tomatoes and mocking him with esoteric dorky kid math jokes within the hour and either way the other parents would have so much weight off their backs and i want that yeah that'd be great uh one question that you did not ask about dragon ball z that i feel is worth noting yeah uh mr satan becomes boo's slave yeah and we specifically see him uh making boo dinner Yes. Two things. One, we see this through, like, photos landing on a table, so why is he taking photographic evidence of being Boo's slave? Yeah, that's that was a question I did have, but kind of passed through my brain. Two, how does Boo's house have a working kitchen? Um, it has a working bathtub. Right. So but that, I assume it has a... But, like, like, how? I mean, how does it have a working bathtub? But um, How? That's a great question. He just built he just built some clay in the middle of a field. There is no plumbing or or gas or anything installed. See, I I think he can turn people into candy. He can turn clay into a working kitchen. It okay. doesn't make sense, but neither does turning people into candy. I think the photos though, like this is me the rare me explaining Dragon Ball to you. Um, I think that that's easily explained. Like, he told Boo that he was going to take a picture, and he probably had to explain to Boo what a picture is and why you take one. And he said, you know, to keep track of things that are exciting and fun, and so Boo thought making dinner was exciting and fun. Okay, so they're for Boo's benefit. They're for Boo's benefit and for Satan staying alive. Okay, okay, I could buy that. Uh, thank you so much for listening, everybody. We'd love to hear from you on social media. Our Facebook is Gilmore Ball Z. Our Twitter is at Gilmore Ball Z. Our email is GilmoreBallZ at gmail.com. And our WordPress is GilmoreBallZ.wordpress.com. Rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Facebook, anywhere else you get your podcasts. We love seeing those. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next Saturday. So, how long until Jess meets a cute artist that actually deserves him? How many followers would Boo and Mr. Satan's Instagram account get? And could Emily beat Gotenks at GoFish? Find out next time on Gilmore Ball Z.